If you have a Bible, we're going to be in a couple of places this morning, Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, and Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. I'm so glad that you are here worshiping with us this morning and those joining us online and those in kindred and for traditions, different places, one church worshiping the same King Jesus. What a great time uh, we have had in worship. Thank you, Anthony and team, for leading us into God's presence. Um, we have some ushers coming down the aisles, and if you need a Bible, just slip a hand up. They'll get one in your hands. You can borrow one this morning. Take it home if you need it. We encourage everyone to have a copy of God's Word. It is so good to be back with you. Now, when I say that, some of you may say, I, I didn't know you were gone, but uh, it's good to be back with you. And, and I'll just say, Lori and I are, are so blessed to be part of a church body that offers sabbaticals. Uh, to its pastors. Today I'm beginning a new series, eight weeks, uh, entitled, Who Am I? So if you're following along in the program or on version, um, whichever you prefer, along with the scripture that I'll be using throughout uh, this series, and we base everything on scripture, there is a book, I don't know if you've ever read this book, it's entitled, Victory Over the Darkness by Neil Anderson. If you have not read, anybody read this? A few of you. If you have not read this, um, this is a powerful book. Uh, I encourage you to pick up a copy of it. We have them at the info desk for $10. There's 50 copies out there. So um, if you want to grab one this morning and, and look through that, um, there's just such powerful truths in there. In fact, let me begin by uh, quoting Neil Anderson. The most important belief we possess is a true knowledge of who God is. But the second most important belief is who we are as children of God because we cannot consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with how we perceive ourselves. It's a little bit mind-boggling, so I wanna share it again. The most important belief we possess is true knowledge of who God is. The second most important belief is who we are as children of God because we cannot consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with how we perceive ourselves. And so for the next eight weeks, we're gonna entertain the question, who am I? And maybe you've heard it a different way, who am I in Christ? It's a question, I think, that, that permeates every bit of our lives and it, and it affects us like, the, um, you can think of it like a low-grade fever that's always there, that's just lingering and it never goes away, that question. No matter uh, how good life is going or, or the, the challenges of life, that question is always there. It's, it's a life-altering question. It's a question that must be answered if we're to make any sense of this present life. While many never admit it, we all are confronted with the question, who am I? Even the person that you come across and man, they got a smile on their face and, and everything looks like it's going great in their life, they still wrestle with that same question. And I have good news, the Word of God answers for us every question about identity. How do I know that? Because the truth will set you free. And in this case, free from the influences of false identity. Out of the question, we will wrestle with life questions like, am I important? So these are kind of the residuals. Do I have value? Am I worth it? Am I secure or will I be abandoned? Am I capable of being loved? Do I have purpose? Am I alone? We all live our lives wanting to know who we are. 
I want you just to think about this for a second. When, when all is stripped away, think of your life. When it, just strip everything away for a second. Imagine this, layer by layer, piece by piece, until only the core of your existence remains. And it's only then you're forced to reckon the truth about who you really are. And when the distractions fade and the noise turns silent and, and, and the busyness calms, there you are. It's just you and God. And we have a choice to make. We can allow people in our lives and around us to define who we are and, and we can base our identity on, on what people think or say about us but you have to keep in mind that the people around us often are using a bad filter. It's a filter of their own sin and unmet needs and desires and confusion. And so we can bounce around like a pinball and listen to everybody else. Or we can allow God, our creator, to tell us who we are. As he looks at us through the shed blood of Jesus. And there lies the dilemma. Who will we believe? Who are you believing? The truth is every living person finds their identity in something or someone. So let's talk about identity. If you're following along, first on your outline, don't forget your past. And then in parentheses, I have the word orphan, if you're filling in a blank. Romans 5, 6, and 8 says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The most recent statistics uh, tell us that there's 150 orphans around the world, of which 17.6 million are without both parents. And often, sometimes people use that um, description or that definition to define an orphan. 17.6 million have, have neither parent. A child is orphaned every 19 seconds around the world, and 99% of orphans will never be adopted. That's crazy. Some reports state that one in four children under the age of five do not officially exist on paper. What? An actual orphanage is a home to thousands and thousands of children around the world. Maybe you've been to one. Most often, the conditions are substandard, and, and, and maybe when you visited, you think, some, in some cases, you think, I, I don't know that I'd even allow my dog to stay here. Many are there because that they are unwanted, or because mom was a prostitute, or dad is in prison, or, or maybe the both of them didn't make enough money, and they, they couldn't raise them and remain a family intact. But all have been abandoned for one reason or another. They remain in a, the orphanage until they're reach legal age or they're adopted. Sadly, they're often considered outcasts, throwaways. They're often physically, mentally, emotionally challenged, existing with a feeling of hopelessness, not being loved, insecure, fearful. An orphan is clearly in need to be rescued out of the orphanage. And the picture I want you to grasp early on here is not that of a real orphan, or an orphanage, but rather a picture of who you are, a spiritual orphan prior to knowing Christ. The similarities are stunning. 
And we've all been orphans in need of being rescued. Uh, this is why I say, I don't, don't forget your past. We're, we were all once an orphan. And maybe some of you here today are still separated from God and, and you need to receive the free gift of Jesus Christ. You need to receive the free gift of salvation through Jesus by surrendering your life to him. Maybe you would do that today. A one-year-old that gets adopted maybe out of an orphanage can't remember the orphanage. And maybe you've come to Christ later in life, or maybe you came to Christ really early, and you're like, um, if it's later in life, you can, I can remember my past, or if it's really early, like I, I don't have any recollection of what my past was like, these things that you're describing. And what I'm trying to present to you is that they're all true, whether you remember them or not, they're true about who you are before Christ, whether you, whether you were seven years old, eight years old, 10 years old, they're true. And we have reason to celebrate. Verse six, see, at just the right time when we are still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. So verse six says, don't forget your past. Prior to Christ, all of us, we were helpless and, and weak and naked and poor and wretched and dirty and pitiful and blind in need of rescuing spiritually. And our condition before Christ, look guys, was not favorable. Our need was great and our ability to help ourselves did not exist. And before Christ, we were like an orphan in an orphanage. At just the right time, the scripture says. At just the perfect time, while I was yet a sinner, while I was yet wallowing in the muck of the world, while I was lusting after pleasure, while I was more interested in self-gratifying activities, while I was not interested in God and his ways, while I was living and choosing to live in the darkness, while I was participating in the most, maybe the most vile, disgusting, and wicked things known to man. It was then, it was at that moment, while I was full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice, while my flesh hated God, while I was a slanderer and God-hater and arrogant and boastful and senseless and faithless and heartless and ruthless, while I was a slave to sin, at just the right time, Christ died for me. That's what we have in common. We must not forget. It says that we were powerless, incapable of working out any righteousness of our, in ourselves. Example, I don't know if you've ever lifted weights, um, but I used to lift weights back in the day, and, and you could think of like you're, you're working out and, and you're just going all out and, and you're sweating like crazy and, and you get to that point where it's like this breaking point and, and every fiber in your being is absolutely exhausted and, and you think, well, I just wanna do one more set or I just wanna do one more rep and you can't. Powerless. No orphan can just one day up and walk out of the orphanage. They have to be rescued or adopted. Until that happens, they remain, and it's the reality. Christ died for the ungodly, the scripture says, a person whose thoughts and actions take no account of God. In other words, a person who lives with no regard or concern towards God. They're only concerned about their own life or this world. They live to satisfy themselves. They, they live to feed the flesh. They are pleasure seekers. Don't forget your past. Verse seven says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. 
And then verse eight, but God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so in that passage, in that, in that verse, the contrast here is between uh, the tremendous worth of the one laying down their life compared to the one who stands unworthy. So that's the comparison there. The one who will benefit from it. And, and so while there might be a narrow margin between a righteous person and, and a good person, a man who's willing to die for them, there's a narrow margin. Maybe I would, you know, there's a huge margin between Christ and those he willingly died for, complete righteousness for complete depravity. We couldn't be any further apart. Would a king die for royalty? Maybe. Would a king die for a slave? Unthinkable. When Jesus hung on the cross, Beaten beyond recognition, he hung there enduring unimaginable pain for all the spiritual orphans in the world, for you and for me. He was willing to give his life for those who were completely undeserving. And as we'll see in a couple of moments, his death opened the doors to the orphanage. Christ died for us, making available to us this reuniting with the Father. But I want you to hear something. We were never abandoned by God. We were just separated at birth. Remember your past. You were once an orphan. Secondly, it's this idea, live free in your present, and in parentheses, the word adopted. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. We're gonna make our way through this. The book of Ephesians answers the question, who am I? Almost from every angle that you can think of. Verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. If you have been adopted by God, it's really no longer about who you were. Don't forget it, but it's not about who you were. It's about who you are. And guys, here, listen to this hope. We are almost home. Does that get anybody else excited? Like, we're almost home. Uh, heaven. The kingdom that we were created for. According to Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. According to Luke 10.20, our name is written in heaven. According to Colossians 3.1, our attention and our affections ought to be centered on the things of heaven. Sounds easy, doesn't it? Our spiritual blessings in verse 4 are linked. Listen to verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So verse four, God in his love seeks the sinner. If you're a child of God's, it's because he chose you to be a child of his, even before he created the universe. Enter the doctrine of election. Now don't, don't check out on me here. Like if, you, like if I say a few words, you're like, I don't even know what that means. I'll, I'll break it down. So I just want you to, I want you to listen here. Let me just say that the mystery of God's choice and our human responsibility will never be solved in this life. Both are taught in the Bible. God's choosing is seen throughout scripture. He chose Abraham, he chose Moses. I mean, he chose Jesus, his only son, to come to this earth to die on the cross as this perfect sacrifice, right? The great debate is not a matter of whether we have been chosen. All believers have been chosen. The great debate is whether God chose us or we chose God or somehow there's something in between. 
If one were to take a step further asking questions like this, did God choose some to believe and not others? If someone is chosen by God, can they say no? Can someone who is not chosen by God say yes? What about faith? Where does that come in? For all of those questions, my answer is the same. I have no idea. And I'm perfectly fine remaining in the tension of the unknown. But what we do know is that he chose us in him before the creation of the world as to remove, this is the, this is the idea behind it, as to remove any hint of our own worthiness of salvation. So in other words, before the creation of the world, he chose us because he knew that if, hey, if I had waited to choose someone, then they might think of their own worthiness as a means of salvation. They can earn it. So he said, uh uh-uh, we're not, no, before the creation of the world, he removed that. Lori and I were returning from Florida last week on a, and I hope you were not on this flight. I would be embarrassed. Um, we were returning from Florida last week on our frontier uh, flight. And the last night we were there, we stayed in this hotel. It was about a half hour from the rental car place. And so we had to get up like at 4.30 in the morning and get our car over to the rental car place and get it back. And then we had to wait on the shuttle for 15 minutes and we finally got to the airport. We're running behind, and, but we're smart. We'd already pre-checked in like you guys do, right? On your phone, yep, we're all checked, we're ready to go. So we get to the airport, they drop us off, we walk in the doors and there's this massive line at the front door uh, counter. And I'm like, oh no. And Lori's like, oh no, we don't, we don't need to go on that line. We're, bag drops right over here, because we, we're smart. And so we go get in the bag drop line and like, why didn't everybody else do this? This is simple. So we're going through the line, it's probably 50 people in line and we make our way to the very front of the line and one of the workers says, lady says, hey, you, make sure you have your tags on your bags. We're like, we're smart, we know. We wrote out that little tag, you know, with your name on it and your address in case your luggage gets lost. It's on our bag, it's right here. And then I started looking around, and I noticed that other people had different tags than what we had. They had those tags that are sticky that they put on and, they, and then they, they stick together. And I'm like, we don't have that tag. Uh, and so we turned around and everybody has that tag but us. And then we noticed there's kiosks that we we missed on the way into the airport over there where you get those tags. And I said, okay, Lori, look, here's the deal. I'm staying right here. You run over there and get the tags. So she ducks under that one rope and then she's like, wait, I need the luggage. So push the luggage out and she takes the luggage and she runs over there and she comes running back. She's like, I need your phone because I need your ticket. So I literally throw my phone to her. She goes, she gets the tickets. Now, you know what's happening, right? There's new people in line. And uh, Lori comes back with our luggage. And I said, just, just come on. So she ducks under the luggage and people are looking at her and she ducks under another and then brings our luggage up to us and, and then we get to the front of the line and we go up there and we put our uh, suitcase on the, the way thing and 52 pounds. Oh, it gets better. And I said, Lori, we're gonna pay the difference. We're late, we gotta get on this flight. No, we're not paying the difference. So have you done this where you had to lay your suitcase on the ground and open it up for everybody else to see your entire life right there, right in front of everybody? So we did that, we're grabbing stuff and we're shoving it in another bag, literally barely fits. We put it up there, 49 pounds, we're good now. So now we're going, we're kind of hurriedly going to our gate and we gotta go through the check through, you know, and we don't have to go through that long line because everybody else uh, didn't get pre-approved for TSA like us, because we're smart. So we go through the TSA line, Lori gets up there and I know that there's something wrong and so then I go up and give him my stuff and he's like, you guys don't have TSA on your ticket, like it's not on here. Kidding me. Turn around, walk past all the people again. Not, 
mind you, most of these people are probably going to be on our flight. Walk past all the people again, go get in the other line with all the people. We get up there and I'm like, honey, I don't think people are taking off their shoes. I don't think they are. We get up there and, and uh, Lori goes in to do this and they said, ma'am, you got to take off your shoes. Sir, you got to take off your shoes. And the people behind us like, we wondered what you guys are doing. Like, everybody has their shoes off, you know, so take the shoes off, throw them on the belt, they go through, we're good. Run into uh, the place and guess who's last on the plane? And I know you've got to believe that there's people on that plane with, with their phones out, like, where's that couple at? They're going to be coming here soon. And, you know, we're probably on YouTube somewhere. And I share that because um, the suitcase that we checked is going to the final destination, right? And I thought of the suitcase uh, as a means of the theology that I just shared with you. Because in this suitcase um, are, are the thinking and the platforms and the ideas that, that God chose people before the creation of the world. And, and there's, there's some who maybe would say God chose them and they really didn't have a, a say that they will come to Christ. And then, the, and then there's everything in between there. And then there's the other extreme of, well, wait, no, I don't, I don't really believe any of that. I believe that the man has free will. And, and if they're a believer, that they completely, it's completely up to them. They chose God. And then there's everything in between and it's, and it's all put into this suitcase. But it's all going to the same destination. And what I would say is, you know, when it comes to things like this in theology, the free church has latitude in, in all of these positions. I would say don't zip it too quickly. Hold it loosely because we're always learning and growing in, in new knowledge and understanding as, as, as scripture is speaking to us and God is speaking to us through scripture. And I think when we get there, the suitcase is gonna, is gonna flop open and there's gonna be people there that, that were on the side that uh, God chooses us, that we don't have a choice, that are gonna look at those other people of free will and say, huh, you're here too? And vice versa, the people that believe in free will are going to look at those who believe that, that we're only chosen, we don't have a, a, a free will in the matter, are going to look and say, huh, you're here too. And that's why I say in a passage like this, we have to preach the full extreme. And I, I think if, that if you were to read this passage, you're going to see early on in chapter one, uh, this idea of being chosen before the creation of the world. But you're going to see something different in a few verses. And I, think, I think they're both there. Imagine for a moment that we will never solve whether God chose some and not others, or some chose God as they were being drawn and recognized for their need, or maybe even somewhere in between. Imagine we will never solve that question. What we do know from verse four is God chose believers to be holy and blameless. It says that, that's what it means, that's what it is. Picture this with me. You and I are living in a spiritual orphanage, all of us. The doors fling open and there before us is Christ. And he leans down and he looks us in the eyes and he says, I choose you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, God came to the orphanage and rescued us. We were chosen to live changed lives while we remain on this earth. We were chosen to be holy. That's what the scripture says. So, so let's take what the scripture says here for a second. We were chosen to be holy, which means we were chosen to be set apart, to live a life reflecting the character of God. 
It also says that that we were chosen to live blamelessly. That means without fault, blemish, or defect. It almost sounds like overwhelming. It almost sounds like, well, I gotta give up right here. To live holy and blameless life. But remember, remember this, because we have been chosen, we are made holy and blameless in his sight. So we're not only chosen to become holy and blameless, we are holy and blameless, and it's the idea of living out of the truth of who you are. You're already holy and blameless if you're a child of God's. And so what it's saying is you've been chosen to live that way. We've been set apart without fault. There's no shame in Christ. There's no condemnation. There's no blemishes and defects. Verse five, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under Christ. In love, it has been said this. I love this saying. It is a love that never began and a love that will never end. It's the same love. It's a love that exists for all eternity, past, present, future. In a love that has no beginning or end, he predestined us. That's the word, predestined us. Verse five says that Christ, out of his love for us, predestined us. He adopted us uh, to be his sons and daughters. But not only did Christ choose us according to verse four, he predestined us to be adopted. And the best way that I can explain the difference is this, between choosing and predestination, because they're both in that passage. Choosing refers to people and predestination refers to purposes. What is our purpose? The word predestined is used in scripture for the believer. It's never used for the unbeliever. It means ordained beforehand or to predetermined. It was predetermined beforehand that we would do good works, that we would live out of the truth of who we are. Adoption from an earthly point of view does not signify birth. So when a child is born, we don't usually equate adoption with that. Adoption happens at some other point in the child's life. It could be one, two, three, five, ten, whatever. But it's at that moment that we start using that word. And it's the same true for a believer. At the moment that you surrendered your life to Christ and you say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need to be rescued. And you sent your son to die on the cross for me. I want to give my life to you. At that moment that you become a child of his, you're adopted. I want you to think about that truth for just a second. I want you to think about these two truths. Imagine this to be on your mirror every single morning and, and you're going through life and you're, and you're wrestling with those deep questions of life and, and, and you just ponder those two, those two statements and those two truths. I'm chosen, I'm adopted. And you just go over and over and over those. And we're gonna build on those throughout the weeks. God adopts us. The Bible is our adoption papers. It goes on, it says, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. So 
Remember I said it's all here in one passage? First, we were the first to put our hope in Christ. And it goes on. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to their praise and glory. So Paul now expands this passage and includes all believers. And once they believed, they were marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. And we've, we've talked about this before when I did a series on the Holy Spirit. It's this deposit. It's this guarantee. It's, it's God saying, no, this is my child, and no one's taken my child from me. When we know who we are in Christ, we're able to face those reoccurring life questions with way more confidence and assurance. What we'll be talking about over the next eight weeks, guys, is the answer to every, I can say every, every struggle that you have in life. Because these are truths. These are truths you can memorize. These are truths that you can rehearse. So let me show you. Am I worth it? You've wrestled with that question. So much so that God, in and through Christ, has given you every spiritual blessing. Am I worth it? You better believe it. Do I have value? So much so that God chose you before the creation of the world to know him and to live a holy and blameless life. Am I important? So much so that God sent his one and only son to die for you. Am I alone? Never. God has given you the Holy Spirit as a seal. Those are some simple The people in Ephesus, uh, this church, they would do good for a while, and then all of a sudden, the culture around them would, would be luring, and they'd find themselves right back into that place again, like we do in life, and they would wrestle with these deep life questions again. Man, am I worth it? Do I have value? Am I important? Am I alone? You know how we cycle, right? Do you cycle? Work tells us what we do, but not who we are. Success tells us how good and important we think we are, but not who we are. Possessions tell us how well we're doing in this life, but not who we are. Talent tells us what we're good at, but not who we are. Relationships tell us what role we play with other people, but not who we are. Your true identity is found in Christ. Let me leave you with one thing. And the one thing is this, remember your adoption papers. John 1.12 says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Let's just pause here for a second, you know, and just, just reflect on all of the things that I've shared with you, the scripture, the truths, maybe even just rehearse in your mind those two statements, I am chosen and I'm adopted. 